We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the show, Ivy Nation Sports Talk, up and running once again, along with Jesse Styers. I'm Sean Styers. Well, I think we fooled everybody. We were ready to go just seconds. Well, I guess we were a little bit behind schedule, but uh, we're as close to an on-time <laughs> 6 o'clock start as we've been in a while for the live crew. How are you today, Jess? I'm doing well. Uh, it was another great day. Work went by quick. Obviously, riding the high off the Cowboys win last night, and I was untouchable today. Anytime the Cowboys win, my next day is great. Nothing can nothing can bring me down. I know. I know. I even slept in a little bit longer today after the Cowboys won last night. Always great when they win a division game as uh, they, they took down the Giants. With a backup tonight. quarterback. That's if, I, I don't know. care if they lose all these other games, but if you can beat the division opponents with you know Cooper Rush, that's like the cherry on top. That's right. That's right. Every wind is uh, like like another one in the hand when you're winning with your backup quarterback. That's for sure. I mean, you know, look at where Notre Dame is. They're two and zero with their backup quarterback starter. <laughs> Didn't win a game, and now the backups got all the wins. So. That's uh, that's funny. It reminds me, I two two weeks ago, you know, the the week Buckner got hurt, so week two for Notre Dame and the NFL first week that Dak got hurt that game. Uh, then. Dan Patrick show put out a poll and said, who are you like, if, if you're a fan today, who are you the most sad of? Or like, who are, who are you? Who's the most depressed? And there was four options and Notre Dame and Cowboys. Notre Dame and, yeah, that's right. We're, <laughs> we're two of them. We're two of those <laughs> options, but you know how the, how the tides have turned two wins, two weeks in a row by backup quarterbacks. I think the question should be who's got it better right now. Than that's Notre right. And Cowboy fans. That's exactly right. It is a bye week, of course, for Notre Dame. We're still talking Notre Dame football each and every day this week on IB Nation Sports Talk. Vince and I are going to have a nice midweek mailbag show coming up for you tomorrow. Notre Dame favored in this matchup. I had to search a little bit harder to find the lines for this game since it is next week and not this week. Uh, minus six and a half Notre Dame on FanDuel, minus seven on BetMGM, and uh, the both the Irish and the Cougars two and two against the spread this season. And BYU is going to be playing Utah State this Thursday night at eight o'clock. It'll be on ESPN, so we're going to have a chance to watch Notre Dame's next opponent 
Thursday night. Little primetime Thursday. Notre Dame uh, opponent BYU taking on Utah State. Will you be glued to your TV this Thursday night? Uh, I don't think I will be glued to my TV. I, you know, it's as much. It's really hard these days because as much interest as I have in you know, uh, football, college football, NFL, all the things. Uh, sometimes just you know, life takes over. I got I got tickets to some MLB games uh, Wednesday and Thursday, and then you know the lady likes to enjoy spending time with me as well. So I got to pick and choose my battles of when I'm going to expend my football time. Uh, so. That's usually saved for, you know, Notre Dame and Cowboys and all the other games that, you know, if I see them, I see them. I like to catch bits and pieces to, you know, keep up on what's going on. But I choose to spend my football time wisely. Chi-Town Irish, he says when he thinks of Ramblin' Man, it's the Waylon Jennings version. I was listening to a little Waylon and Willie earlier today. Good-hearted woman and all that uh, good stuff. Didn't hear Ramblin' Man, but that's a good call there. Irish Chi-Town. Notre Dame's coming off its 45-32 win over North Carolina Saturday. Irish are 500 now. But, you know, Marcus Freeman gets his second straight win as a head coach. Before we delve into our main topic for today, don't forget, smash that like button, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff because it absolutely does help us out. So we do appreciate that. But here's my question for you today. Have Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish turned the corner this season? After that 0-2 start, with what we saw Saturday, can we say the Irish and Marcus Freeman have turned the corner? Now, before you answer, Jess, here's the thing about answering this question. Because, you know, they're coming off a 45-32 beatdown of North Carolina, a game that really wasn't even as close as the final score would indicate. And now a few weeks back, I can't remember if it was you or Vince when I brought this subject up. Do you, when you watch a TV series, do you like to binge watch or do you like the week to week? I think it was Vince who was on when I asked this. And I'm going to guess, since you're in the younger demographic, <laughs> this is going to be slam dunk. You're going to say binge, right? Yeah, I'm 100% binge. It's actually funny you brought that up because about a month and a month ago, my girlfriend and I found a new show that we found or liked on Netflix. It's only one season long. There was about eight to 10 episodes that were 25, 30 minutes in length, Meh, probably like 20, 25 minutes. And we knocked it out in one rainy Sunday. So I'm, I'm all on board with the binging. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Vigo said he knocked out Dahmer today on on Netflix. I, I need to live the life of John Vigo for the day. Yeah, that's right. And and Vigo says you got to binge. Well, here's why I asked the question. Okay, because you know, like if it's if it's an old show, I have no problem binge watching. You know, because it's already been out, right? Mm-hmm. Especially you know, like if it's a sitcom, like if it's Seinfeld, for example. You know, like pretty much all the sitcoms are standalone episodes like Seinfeld. You can watch any Seinfeld episode and it, and it doesn't matter because one doesn't really have any relation to the other, you know, of, of all the seasons that they did, you know, you, you can just pick a Seinfeld episode you can watch on any given night. And it's like, you're, you're not lost in anything, right? Because, you know, the plot of one episode is not dependent upon what happened in a show before it. Unlike, you know, especially some of the dramas that we've talked about, Lost, the linear shows, Lost, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, those kind of shows, like, if you're going to just watch a random show in episode three without watching pretty much all of season one and and season two, you're going to be going, what is going on with these shows, right? Or even like, if you, for that matter, if you watch episode four without watching the first three episodes of a season, you're going to be you're going to not know what the heck is going on. And when those episodes are the only thing that, you know, that you have to base your opinion on was, you know, episode four, if that's where you started watching. And when those episodes are spaced out from week to week like that, you know, like those linear shows where you're, you're plot dependent and it's like, you know, everything leads up and then you've got a cliffhanger at the end. And then you're waiting, you know, if you're, if you're waiting week to week rather than jumping right into the next episode, you've got more time to kind of sit and think about it, react to it, all those things. But if those, you know, so if those shows are done right, you know, you get a, again, you get a good cliffhanger. You want to know what comes next, right? And that's what I like about a football season because it is all spaced out for us from week to week. There's only one game a week, and it's kind of like watching a weekly TV series. You know, if you're watching one team, you know, like we watch Notre Dame or, you know, we were just talking about the Cowboys. We watch both of them every week, but we watch it. We react to it. We break it down. A lot of times we overreact to it. We base most of our opinions on what just happened in the game that we have just seen. And we start to, you know, kind of shift our attention to the next game as the week goes on and, you know, that and that kind of thing. 
We try to predict what's going to happen in that game. We watch the next game, and then, of course, we do it all over again. We react, we overreact, you know, all those different things. There's no binging in football, you know, during a football season. You can't binge watch the football season. You know, like baseball, everything is just kind of glommed together, and it goes on and on and on and, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, you have to wait a week for each game. And when you get to a bye week like now, well, now, of course, you have to wait two weeks. But, again, that takes us back to the original question. What's it all mean? Because you know, are we going to base everything, like when we talk about has Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman turned a corner, do we base everything on what happened against North Carolina the other day? You know, because like early in the season, we see them struggle. They lose a game they were expected to lose, but then they lose a game they weren't supposed to lose. They play bad for a half, but win a game that they were supposed to win, Cal. And then, of course, they dominate a Power 5 team for three quarters, so now they're 2-2. Two and two. So the bigger point is, again, do we overreact week to week? You know, you can't just look at what they did in the most recent game and base everything on that, I think. But how confident are you right now in saying that Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman have turned a corner on this season? So I'll start with you, Jess. How confident are you right now? Um, I'm at like a three quarter turn right now. I got like 75% of the way there. I'm not all the way there. And I'll tell you why, because Notre Dame, did they do well against Ohio state? Sure. They did some things. Well, Should, did they do some things better? And could they have put themselves in a better position to win the game? Sure. They didn't finish the game. They didn't, you know, there was no risk taking. It was just very kind of Manila in my opinion. And then the next week we move on to Marshall. Obviously, you can't lose to Marshall at home. So that's a big, you know, red mark on on the resume. And then now we start, you know, week three, we get into the first win. But Cal was still sloppy. There was still a lot of things done wrong in that game and potentially another game that they could have let get out of hand and they didn't finish. Um, and then now we're in, you know, hit the fourth data point. Um, and North Carolina, yes, are they a good offense? And did Notre Dame do things well defensively to slow them down? Yes. But you got to look at it on the other side of the ball. North Carolina has a bad defense and Notre Dame put up a lot of points against, you know, a bad defense. So right. I think for me to get to the full turn, you know, from my three quarter turn, I need to see Notre Dame go up against a really, really not really, really just a solid team. We know BYU is good. They're a solid team when it comes to, you know, college respects. Um, and I want to see how they perform again against another good team on the road, a big environment in Las Vegas, inside an NFL stadium. There's a lot that, you know, a head coach has to manage uh, going into this game outside of X's and O's and playing. So I'm at a three-quarter turn, and I think I'll have a better <laughs> picture uh, once once we see this BYU game and, and kind of keep turning into this schedule. But I like what I've seen. I think that, you know, since the Marshall loss, there's definitely been step-by-step-by-step -step -step gain. Um, but I want to see what the next step is for BYU because it could be a huge step or it could be a minor step or it could be a step backwards. We just don't know yet. You're at a three-quarter term. I'm at a quarter flash is where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know Carolina's defense was horrible, but Notre Dame scored 24 points in the second quarter alone, You know, which matched what they had done in terms of a season high you know, for one game through their first three games. Carolina was scoring 51 points a game. They held them to 32. Easily could have been 18. But, you know, I guess, you know, again, like Vigo was saying, I love to overreact. And you know, I don't mind the overreaction either. I try not to go too far 
in my overreactions, but that's, you know, again, what happens. It's like, once we get that, once that new episode drops on Saturday, we watch that and then we base probably 80 to 90% of our belief in everything on what happened on that one day. We, we, you know, we totally forget whatever evidence we had before that. And then, you know, we don't even think about what's to come after that, but we're a third of the way through the season right now. So we do at least have a little bit of a body of work, but kind of like you outlined, every game has just been a little bit different. There hasn't been much cohesion. The only real cohesion that we have, like if we if we kind of break it down, offense, defense, special teams has been pretty consistent throughout. Now, Blake Groupie's got to start making some of these field goals because even though technically he missed his first one the other day, that was not a, you know, a, a, a really difficult field goal one, but he also did miss the field goal in the Cal game before the uh, phantom penalty. Yeah. And he's a, he's a grad out. transfer, you know, these that's are right guys. He has the experience. This moment shouldn't be this big for him and he should have the confidence. So that's, what's been disappointing, but sorry to interject yes. there. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. And we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll actually touch on that coming up a little bit later in rapid fire as well. The, uh, the, the penalty that was thrown on that. So, you know, again, how much belief do we want to place on this North Carolina game? Four games into the season, definitely their best performance of the season. But, you know, like North Carolina is a power five team. Marshall beats Notre Dame, and then now they have lost to Bowling Green and Troy in succession. Now, Troy's a pretty good team. You know, there are some good teams in, in, in that Sunbelt Conference down there. But you know, is is Marshall really that much better than North Carolina? Because, you know, like North Carolina scored a million points against Appalachian State and barely beat them. And then App State turns around and beats Texas A&M, you know, as we compare wins and losses and all this different stuff. So I thought what we do is we'd kind of go through Marcus Freeman, the offense, the defense, and look at What's one thing that maybe makes you think they've turned a corner? And what's the biggest thing that holds you up from saying, well, you know, maybe they haven't quite turned a corner yet? Because now, overall, I I think we're we're in agreement here. And in and agreement with um, you know, most of the people that I'm seeing in the chat, and that is I don't think that they have completely turned a corner because we can't we can't base everything on what we saw against North Carolina, even though it's an improvement and it's, you know, like the, the first real glimmer of hope that like this can actually be an offense that can score points. And, you know, this can be a defense that can you know, put the clamps down on a legitimate opponent on the other side of the ball. There are still, there are still places to grow. There's still room to improve all the way around. So let's start with the head coach, Jess. What's one thing that maybe th- makes you think, as a head coach, and I'm not, you know, let's leave the recruiting stuff out of it. I'm talking about like a game day, you know, build the foundation, putting things together, head coach, since the season has started. What's maybe one thing that makes you think he's turned the corner as a head coach? I think that the number one thing that has made me think that Marcus Freeman has turned the corner is that he has, you know, said that he has want to establish an identity in certain aspects of how his team is run and how, you know, what they want to accomplish offensively and defensively. 
And I think, now I think in the first couple of games, he took accountability saying, you know, this, we are still kind of forming this identity. And I think what's been most impressive with these last two games is that he has changed things to kind of get to, you know, form this identity that he's been talking about. And he's done it in a way to win games, meaning that the offense has come to find an identity of we are going to, you know, our offensive line is going to be physical. We're going to hit you in the mouth. We're going to establish our run game and we're going to build our offense based off of our talent and what our players can do best. And I don't think that that's what they did in Ohio State versus Marshall. So to see the transformation in kind of how he's accomplishing, you know, this identity that he wants um, and then being able to get the results of two wins after going 0-2, that to me has shown that he's turned the corner. Yeah, I mean that's 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 a good starting point, a good point about him because like coming into the season he talked about run the ball, stop the run and some people thought that that was nuts to hear him say run the ball that that was important and so basically that he wanted he wanted his team to be built around the defensive lines and and you know that's that's kind of been the foundation of this program for the last few years. When you look at how they've been able to sustain success it it obviously always hasn't been about having the best skill position players but it starts in the trenches being able to control the lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball and he said that that was a priority coming into the season they are at least closer to that right now and again like if you look at North Carolina definitely like that but look at the second half against Cal you know it there was like a shift in the middle of that game the second half against Cal we saw both lines of scrimmage start to, you know, to really dominate and assert themselves. And to me, it's the fact that, you know, so I think that those are good points that you make. To me, for Marcus Freeman, it's the fact that they've already cleaned up a lot of, you know, this just nonsense kind of stuff that we saw on the field early on, you know, the false starts and those kind of things. Just, you know, too many penalties and just a team that didn't look like it was really cohesive you know they look sloppy at times sometimes lethargic you know like especially against Marshall you know and regardless of who they played Saturday we saw some of those things disappear and we saw again some of them disappear against Cal as well now obviously in the first half against Cal still the false starts and all that but we have seen some of that go away it's you know those things have been cleaned up you know you you obviously wish that you didn't have to see those things for them to be cleaned up, but you can see sort of a shift in it's like, okay, I've got to focus on the right things. And I, you know, I, I think that he's obviously held himself accountable and he's been able to, uh, to, to jump on some of those things and not let them fester and just overtake his program early on. Yeah. I think a big thing that to sum up what you were talking about, and I agree with most everything you were saying is he has controlled the controllable uh, to the best of his ability and really refined that. And the, the things that you can control in football are, you know, your penalties, lining up, you know, in the right formations, not burning your timeouts, like, et cetera. Like the, the, the less, the, not X's and O's and the talent of players and that thing, because that's, that's just happens, right? Like you can come up with the best scheme. You come up with all this great stuff, but at the end of the day, the players have to play. So what can you control knowing that that's the situation? And I think that, yeah, he's done a great job of cleaning up the things to give them a better chance of success, knowing kind of where some of their deficiencies have been early on in the season. Anything that gives you pause with Marcus Freeman then right now? 
I still, I'm not a fan of his in-game coaching right now. Like his, the there's an art to coaching, and I and I understand he, you know, the, and it's hard because he's early and he's big young. learning curve. Yeah, right. And so it's hard to scrutinize someone who's only five games into their head coaching career as an already young head coach. But that's the thing, and that's what's going to naturally kind of take some time. I think is kind of his art of a coach and the game flow, like. We talked about it yesterday. I asked you, do you, I asked you, do, do you think if Notre Dame calls that timeout on the first drive when Carolina lines up for a field goal that they end up still kicking the field goal or not? And they took the timeout and North Carolina thought about some things and came out and scored a touchdown. Yeah, I'm in belief of if Freeman doesn't take that timeout that they kick the field goal and they're happy with their three points. So that's what I'm talking about where I still have the pause. I need to see him do those things better, but it's going to be hard because like I said, it's just one of those things that comes with experience. Like you can't yeah. know about game flow until you're in the game actually coaching. Yeah. And that's, I completely agree with that. And that's still my biggest thing as well. This was always going to be the biggest question. And the only thing th that was going to answer it is time. And you know, like the only thing that is going to, to, to get him up to speed is time. And going through those situations and that's part of kind of the you know the the uh the, the pressure cooker of learning on the job at Notre Dame because there's a big you know again there's a big difference between Brian Kelly learning on the job first at Grand Valley State a division two school and then Central Michigan and even Cincinnati where the you know there's there's really there's little to no scrutiny at any of those places. You get to cut your teeth, you get to make the mistakes, and you get to essentially learn on the job. For Marcus Freeman, you're coming off the five most success, you know, the, the most successful five-year stretch in school history. And now, you know, you've you've been handed all this talent to, to different degrees. And now you've got to figure out, okay, how do I manage that on game day, let alone during the week and like you were talking about that and like you look at the end of the first half as well where he calls the timeout he's still got like he starts to call the timeout with the clock stopped and 28 seconds left in the half so the clock has already stopped and he calls the timeout he starts calling for it at 20 seconds on the play clock and it ends up they grant it to him at 17 on the play clock but there was there was no reason to call that timeout when he did, you know, like they were talking about during the broadcast, and I completely agree with it. Get your offense quickly to the line of scrimmage. At the very least, you know, try a hard count to draw North Carolina off sides. See if you can get them off sides. And then if they don't jump off sides, you call the timeout with two seconds left on the play clock because the clock had already stopped. So you're not worried about losing actual game time. And then you can kick the field goal if you want to. But, you know, if you draw them off sides, you don't use a timeout. You've got a chance to run at least a couple more plays and maybe get it in the end zone instead of just kick a field goal. So that to me, you know, again, it's in the grand scheme of things in that game itself, it obviously didn't come back to bite him at all. But as Freeman has said himself, you know, you can't necessarily say, well, just because it ended up working out and we won doesn't make it you know, doesn't, doesn't gloss over it. You know, he's talked about that with other things about execution during the game with, you know, with the team and stuff like that. So that that's, that's something that I think we're all going to be, you know, it's going to be a work in progress. We're going to see more of that where kind of you sit and go, well, you know, is that right? What he really wanted to do? That's the biggest thing with me 
with him right now is just that game situation stuff. Yeah. And to, to your point, you know, most coaches start for what reason? Because probably, you know, 75% of the time the coach before them had a bad season and has had continuous bad seasons. So, you know, you talked about Brian Kelly coming into Grand Valley State, Central Michigan, Cincinnati. A lot of these coaches, when they get their start, you know, they're starting at these smaller programs and they're they're picking up organization or sorry, programs that are just happy with wins. You know, like there's so there's some programs that coaches walk into and they're, you know, one and 11, 0 and 12, 2 and 10. And so like the expectations are much lower and you're just much happier with wins. But when you come to Notre Dame, you know, a top pedigree program that's had these consecutive 10 win seasons there's no you know there's no moral victories of a four or five win season and that's actually you know gonna hurt you a lot so yeah I think that that's something important to look at um but side note I think he might be better than Mike McCarthy already so I don't know <laughs> where we where we stack those two up against each other but that's might. a pretty low bar that's a pretty <laughs> low bar right there he might be better than him, though. You know, that's 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 why that, that it's pretty telling of our boy Mike McCarthy. No, you're you're absolutely right. That guy, that guy challenges himself, I think, <laughs> more than anything. And it's like you sit back and you go, "That guy's won a Super Bowl." Okay, okay, all right, <laughs> yeah. All right, what about the offense, Jess? What's one thing that makes you think, "Well, maybe the offense." has has turned a corner or is at least starting to turn a corner uh their balanced attack last week shows me that they have turned a corner of understanding where their success is going to come from and the formations and personnel that needs to be used to accomplish said success they have now created the formula and now it's an opinion of all right so do they actually use the formula again and again and, and tweak it, you know, to, to just continuously make it a little bit better and better? Or do they still, do they go back to kind of their, some of their old habits of doing stuff that they know doesn't work, but they're just trying to, for whatever reason, run it to run it? Or, you know, they need to stick to what they know works. Um, and that was proven this week with the 22 personnel, yeah. you know, the, the establishing the, the run game, yeah. uh, using all of the different running backs. So that has shown me that they've turned the corner. And so to turn another corner, I want to see them, consistently use it and continue to build off of it um in my opinion yeah uh tyler talking about cd lamb dropping touchdowns that'll come up in rapid fire later so <laughs> stick tight must have missed tight. the the one-handed one i guess <laughs> yes, i don't that's know that's right that's right well that's true too good point good point uh yeah i think the play calling definitely is a big swing because there was there was no imagination this offense there there was no rhyme or reason with the offense in the first couple games, and then all of a sudden, starting with the Cal game, we really saw a change. I don't know if it's because he pared it down or he finally figured out, you know, he – Tommy Reese was definitely trying to lean on that offensive line early, but there was – you know, I think he, like a lot of us probably, overestimated that offensive line. They weren't ready to be leaned on early, and then he finally, you know, started – doing some things scheme-wise and personnel-wise that could give him some advantages. And we talked coming into the season about how he could use personnel to create different advantages, and that's what we've seen. So, like, these last couple games, we're finally starting to see, you know, and again, I know a lot of people have got their opinions on Tommy Reese, and, and a lot of people are down on Tommy, but I think we're finally starting to see 
why he gets, you know, kind of such raves and, and, you know, like NFL talk and all this different stuff. He is a pretty creative guy, you know, again, now I'd like to see it against a better defense to, you know, to, to see exactly how far it goes. And once it's on film, how are they able to continue off that and how are teams going to react to it now that it's on film and they have something to game plan for, because it's been, you know, we've, Again, four games, and we've seen a lot different things in each game so far. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. But the offensive line is also something that tells me they're starting to turn a corner. I, I like what we're seeing from the offensive line. It is starting to round into form. But again, you know, like I, we, we, you can't play Clemson every week, but I think they'll see at least a better opponent against BYU here in a couple of weeks. And, and, what I like is they'll have a chance to sort of build their way up to Clemson, you know, because they're, I think they've got a chance to gain some confidence as they gain competence as well, building up to that matchup. And, you know, again, that's what we're sitting here a little bit more than a month away from that one right now. That's not the only game that, you know, the, what happened at, at Marshall obviously shows you that uh, anything can happen because it already has this season. What's one thing that gives you pause about the offense? Ooh, let's see. One thing that gives me pause about the offense would be uh, wide receiver uh, production downfield. You know, it's it's nice that they're completing a lot of these underneath routes and, you know, not really deep posts or streaks or stuff like that. Yeah. Like was, you know, digs open on a on a on a wheel up the sideline. Yeah, but he was wide open. You know, that's that's an easy one. I'm talking contested downfield you know, blow it going over the top of the safety type situations. Um, So yeah, wide receiver production has to be one of them. Um, And then also still for me is the offensive lines recognition to pick up blitzes and delayed stunts, because that's going to be a big factor when you go against good defensive lines and Drew Pine will struggle in those kind of situations. You know, it was nice that he had a clean pocket, but the first drive of the game, and I don't know why North Carolina went away from it. They had a nice delayed stunt, and Pine got stacked, you know, sacked. Um, and so I still see a lot of those issues with the offensive line. And again, it's going to get better. It's communication. It's working as you know in unison together in games and that kind of situation. But if they want to see the success that they want to have, they need that offensive line to be able to recognize blitz, pick up blitz, and those guys to communicate and have their head on a swivel constantly. And, you know, the number one thing I see is Notre Dame offensive linemen and why they get burned by these blitzes is they make their initial read and they'll look when they're blocking, but then they won't look back. You know, they won't come back to the play for some reason. So that to me um, are my biggest pauses offensively. Yeah. I mean, those are my two biggest ones right there. And I don't have a whole lot to add off of it. You know, they still have to show that these receivers can get downfield and be guys who can make plays downfield and not just be a bunch of possession type guys now obviously Lorenzo Styles got over the top and you know was able to to get that you know we we need to see a continuation of that and you know I, I'm not going to beat the Tobias Merriweather drum you know we all know he's out there we know he's a talent we know he's the kind of guy but until we see him you know I just you know I, I guess we can't keep beating that drum because we don't get to see practice and, and see what's going on there so is it me or am i the only one that gets tripped up by lorenzo styles being number four i still look for his <laughs> freshman number 
And every time it's four, I'm like, and they say Lorenzo Styles, I have to like triple take because I don't believe that it's him. But I all like I forget that he's wearing that, you know, new singular uniform and it, it just throws me off. I don't know. I, I was just curious if I'm the only one that gets tripped up by it. I no, I mean, you know, I, I kind of keep thinking Kevin Austin a little bit. Yeah, that's Obviously what I think. Like, that's who I, yeah. I couldn't think of who it was, but I was like, who was the recent wide receiver that was number four? Because that's yeah. definitely who I'm thinking of. Yep. And they have all these like, you know, kind of fifth year, not all these, but a decent amount of kind of older wide receivers. I'm like, I swear someone else is number four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Let's switch to the defense. What makes you think maybe Al Golden's defense is turning the corner? Um, you know, I, this one's hard because Notre Dame's defense has been pretty consistent between each games, meaning that like the things that have been kind of bad, AKA the linebackers are consistently kind of not great game to game. What's consistent. This, the secondary has been, you know, consistently good every game. And we haven't seen a whole lot of decline. Um, but I think the thing that has made me defensively turn the corner the most is the way that these young freshmen are able to produce in the defense. And I think that shows a lot for Al Golden. It shows a lot for the recruits that Notre Dame is getting um, and and just overall kind of what things are going to be like going forward because a lot of these freshmen are having success and doing things at a high level, and it's only year one for them. And I think that their skills are just going to be continuously stacked. Their confidence is continuously going to stack, and we're going to see – more of like game changing plays, interceptions, big hits, big pass breakups, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think that is what is the most telling that this defense has kind of turned the corner and then they can rely on their safety, not safeties, their secondaries to kind of be bend but don't break. You know, they don't give up a lot of those. Oh, I can't say they don't give a lot of those huge plays after kind of those two busts against North Carolina, but still like. outside of those, I could say that they don't, you know, they play solid. They don't give up a lot of big plays. And it seems to, I feel confident sometimes like last night they said, you know, that how much of a difference does it make knowing that a team has a good defense offensively when you're at midfield, you know, maybe at the opponent's 45, that comes into a big factor. And I think it will for Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman, you know, high leverage situations against some of these bigger teams where you need to score on possessions that you can rely on your defense. And I think that that's because of the secondary. So that to me, and a long roundabout answer (laughs) is what has turned the corner. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, the defense has forced a lot of punts these last couple of games. And, you know, again, they did it against a legit offense. You know, you can 
you can rip North Carolina's defense if you want, but you know that's a Carolina offense that was throwing for 310 a game and rushing for 230-some per game, and they ended up with like 67, 66 rushing yards and, and held under their passing yardage as well, even with those big plays. Now, you want to, you know, you want to get those things together. I think the biggest thing to me, you know, that that I saw, like, again, not basing it all on this, but like when you look at the second half against Cal, like if they and then you combine that with what happened throughout the game, you know, again, with the exception of those four big plays that you've got to cut down. They figured out he has figured out how to make offenses one dimensional. You know, like we raved over the job that he that that they did against Ohio State, and then we're just flummoxed with what happens the next week against Marshall. But now, flummox <laughs> the way the way they were able to to make North Carolina one dimensional. They completely took away the run game, and a big part of that was taking away the quarterback run because again. May had 33 yards on that first drive. He had half the yards they ended up with on the ground in that first drive himself alone. Now, when you make a team one-dimensional, you are going to give up some pass plays. That does put a lot of stress on your secondary. I'm not completely forgiving that, but the fact that that they were able to make a really good offense one-dimensional, which, again, is something like I go back a couple years – that's what Clark Lee's what Clark Lee was so good at his defenses, making teams one dimensional, the ability to adjust, and I I think we've started to see, a, you know, a lot more of that. And like, look at look at Jaden Ott from Cal, the running back. I don't know if you saw this last week, Jess, but the game that he had against Notre Dame is his worst game of the season. He had thirty three rushing yards. He had two hundred and seventy four rushing yards against <laughs> Arizona last week. You know, so. They've figured out some things. Now, again, you know, like like if you look at, at you know, a stress or, you know, what kind of gives you some concern is is like what happened, you know, they're, they're shutting down Cal and then their quarterback, who's not a mobile quarterback, is breaking off all these runs and, and you know, turning them into first downs. You know, there have been some things like that. The linebackers still concern me, you know, and we kind of talked about that yesterday. They improved – against North Carolina over the weekend, but it was also a pretty simple, you know, Carolina running schemes that they were facing. So that's that's a place that I still need to see big improvement. I'm really confident in the secondary. I'm really confident in the defensive line again after what we've seen the last couple of weeks, but the linebackers for me would be the thing that gives me concern about the defense. How about you? Uh, for me, the biggest concerns are what I'm going to call – the outer perimeter box, meaning, you know, typical boxes, everyone in the box, defense, you know, full defensive line uh, linebackers. I'm calling it the outside box or perimeter box because I'm most concerned about the defensive ends and the linebackers. I'm, I, I love Notre Dame's interior defensive linemen. I think they have a solid rotation. A lot of those guys are studs. That's a big reason why they clog up this run game. They help out their linebackers. They disrupt plays. They blow up plays. I really like what I see out of Notre Dame's interior defensive linemen. I'm not completely sold on the edge rushers yet, um, and I'm definitely not sold on the linebackers and their combination to make run plays together. And the reason why I'm not sold on the defensive linemen quite yet is because of what you were talking about, is their stunts don't 
you you can't stunt past the quarterback. And that's what they're doing is they're creating running lanes, you know, for these quarterbacks. And it puts their secondary into a bind because they're covering great. And now they have to come up and make a decision of, are we stepping into these running lanes and getting burned, you know, potentially on a, a pass over our head? Or do we let the quarterback run and take, you know, basically take our blows and, you know, protect the bigger play with the routes downfield. And so that's, that's the biggest concern I have is because these, these linebackers um, aren't running their, you know, their run fills very well. Uh, I still, that's a big concern. They're playing, you know, okay. And pass Um, and these defensive linemen, like I said, they're, they're getting consistent rush, but the rush isn't getting home or landing where it needs to. It's kind of sloppy and it's creating a lot of these running lanes for quarterbacks because it's not just a one game thing. We've seen every quarterback be able to escape the pocket via the running lanes, you know, that, that have been created like Stroud. Yes. He's a great athlete and, and can make plays with his feet, but there was a lot of times where those defensive ends just couldn't get him to the ground when they had him, you know, kind of swallowed up and he extended a lot of those plays, you know, those third down plays on each sideline. And that ultimately led to points for them. You know, they made the Cal quarterback look good. They made the North Carolina quarterback look good with the running. So that's where I, I, I kind of see the, the weakness. So with a bye week this week, do you think that that's something that's that's relatively easy to clean up? You know, like as they sit down and, and self-scout and look at their film, do you think that that's something they can uh, maybe get taken care of this week? Yeah, I mean, it's just all about angles and realize, having – uh what's the word uh, self-awareness of where your body at is at in real time you know it's a lot easier said than done because you're going fast and you know it's obviously high tempo and you're trying to get to the quarterback and all of a sudden things you know crash down in a split of a second but it's just you know working on moves and setting kind of cones and landmarks on the field so that way they can get you know their body can come into a habit of of doing these things and then just also you know good light it's a bye week. You can do light conditioning drills that have to do with pursuit, you know, breaking down and, and those kind of things, being in the right area of the field when plays break down and getting to, you know, rallying to a play. So that's I think that's a lot of stuff that's light, but can still be worked on, you know, with a bye week. And it's it's beneficial to have a bye week because you can do that kind of work. Yep, I agree. I agree. So we're we're in agreement. No corner has been turned yet, but there are at least signs that point to they could be turning a corner. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I actually want to dial back my, my 75% on offense. I think I'm more at like 60%, Okay, but I'm at 75%, 80% on defense. That's where I'm at on the turn radius. Okay. So 65% offense. And what were you on defense? 75, 80? I'm going to go 60 offense, 80 defense. Okay. All right. I'd probably be around that same range. Somewhere in that vicinity. 